0: The following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, March 26th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Good morning, everybody, and, and for those who don't know me again, my name is Raymond, and I'm one of the pastors here. Do me a favor, if you would, open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. Verse 19 through 22 is where we'll be this morning, and and in fact, I'll I'll begin reading back in verse 16, just so that we can get some context and hear those moving words from Ruth one more time, where she refuses to let Naomi go back to Bethlehem alone. After I do that, we will all recite Romans chapter 8, verse 28 together, and then I'll pray and tell us what God wants to do with the rest of our time. Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Ruth said to her mother-in-law Naomi, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go, I will go. and Where you lodge, I will lodge. And Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Verse 19, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Now what you can't see here unless you have a little footnote or something in your Bible is that the name Naomi actually means pleasant. The name Mara means bitter. Don't call me pleasant or Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Verse 22, so Naomi Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know, everybody together, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Father, help us to, to not just say those things. Let's pray that you just, even now, Lord, that, that you'd go through the room. We, we do this so often that it's the easiest thing in the world to just come and go through the motions, whether that's for me or any of us sitting down. But we're asking you to come right now and to, and to really b- breathe breathe the breath of life over us. Just help us, Lord, by your Spirit. We sang that you would cover the earth with your glory. I pray that you cover this room as well. Um, help us to see, as we look at Naomi's life today, help us to see that you're good. That even in life's darkest moments, you're, you're still good that you are to be trusted in everything in ways we can't see lord you're you're taking everything and you're weaving you're weaving all the events of our life all the events of other people's lives you're weaving everything together and you're making something beautiful out of it all and we're so tempted to narrow our perspective to our own little concerns Lord, would you please open our eyes and open our hearts this morning? Help us to see again that you're, you're moving everything. You've, you've got complete authority over even our lives and you're, you're, you're using it all to point people to your son Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life. And Lord, we, we can trust you and we, we give you our hearts this morning. We just want you to hear that. We, tr- we trust you. And, and where we're weak in that, we pray that you would bolster us and strengthen us this morning. We ask that all in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, everybody, you say... Amen. I want to do just two things this morning. The first thing I want to do is just kind of walk through the passage and show you a couple of things that really stood out to me as I read it for myself, just, just things that really impacted me as I was reading, uh, and that God, I felt God immediately applying to my life, and I'm, I'm hoping that those things will be as much of an encouragement to you as they were to me. And then after that, what I want to do with the second half of what we're doing here is, is just to kind of look at, at Naomi's earliest recorded words, as she is processing her suffering and all the things she's going through, I want us to look at her earliest words about how she understands God and his part and his role in what it is she's experiencing. And I want us to compare that to Job. I want us to to walk over to Job and compare that to Job's earliest recorded words when he is considering his suffering. They've, They've gone through similar things. Naomi's was spread out over 10 years. Job's was all within the space of one day. But but very similar experiences, in some ways, similar responses in terms of their understanding of God, in other ways, very different responses. And what I want to do is just kind of walk through that and hopefully um, God will do his thing and he'll he'll allow us to see his goodness through all of that so that when we process our own experiences, our own sufferings, we won't be tempted to walk away from him because of a misunderstanding of who he is as we're looking at the, the darkest moments in our lives. Help us with that again, Lord, and we ask this again in, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's go back, um, top of the passage here, Ruth chapter 1. One of the first things that really stood out to me and encouraged me was the fact that Naomi, wasn't a, Naomi was not a perfect witness. Would you agree? She wasn't a perfect witness. Now, I, I don't want to give... Naomi, too hard of a time here this morning because even, even as we look at her earliest recorded words about God and as we get into the arrival at Bethlehem and what she says to those who greet her, keep in mind what she's been through and then add to that the fact that she has been walking on foot over rugged terrain for an entire week at an average of about 13 miles per day. Now I was miserable three days into Disney World, walking 10 miles a day. Uh, in, in one of the most beautiful places you could ever find. Holly was there. She can tell you it's true, right? I got to, I missed Thursday. I said, I got to. I was so sorry that I had to miss Thursday. As everybody else was walking another 10 miles, my, my youngest daughter got sick and I had to stay in the hotel with her. And man, that was, I hate to admit it, that was one of the best days in Disney World. <laughs> it was just, I got to just sit there in my bed with my little, my little munch and it was, it was wonderful. But uh, what was my point? Yes, Naomi's been walking a very long time here, right, so I don't know what you're like when you're exhausted, you've just gone through a long trip, seven days, for me all it takes is seven hours, if I'm, if I'm on a trip like that, the first person that comes to speak to me and have a conversation, I, let's just say I may not be at my best, all right, so I want to I cut Naomi some slack here, right? but one of the things that I think we would agree on is she wasn't a perfect witness, Yet what encouraged me was that God was still able to use Naomi's example. He was still able to use Naomi. And he was still able to save Ruth, despite all of that. Have you, have you ever felt like you've completely blown it? Right? I mean, look at, look at Naomi. Have you, you, you ever done something around somebody? Maybe you're praying for this person. You know they're not a Christian. You, you want to be a good example Of what a Christian should be You want to point them to Jesus Maybe somebody at work Maybe somebody in your family One of your friends And and one day they catch you At one of your worst and weakest moments They see you doing something That let's just say Would not be the best best example Of how a Christian should live Or speak And you kind of You do this thing where you you think Man I've, I've just blown it This person will want nothing to do with Jesus ever And it's all my fault Has anyone ever felt that? Well, I'm sure Naomi had moments like that when she looked back at, at how she had been living and, and, and showing Ruth and, and her other daughter-in-law, Orpah. I mean, this is a woman who actually said, Ruth, you know what? It's not too late. Go back to Moab and those false gods. You think that qualifies for being a poor witness? Go back, r- look at Ruth chapter 1, 5, 1 verse 15 again. You, th- you think I'm making this up if you weren't here last week. Ruth chapter 1, verse 15. Verse 15, Naomi actually says there, look, Ruth, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Go, return after her. Go back to those worthless gods. That's just not something a Christian should, should say. Right? She had some choice words to say about God, as we'll see in a minute, as she was processing through her most difficult moments. Those weren't the best words that Naomi had ever spoken about God. All of this was done right in front of Ruth, and yet the end result is that God was still able to save Ruth. Be encouraged. This was really encouraging to me. I, I can remember playing for the Richmond Kickers years ago and one of our trainers there was not a believer and I had often spoken to her about, about Jesus and, and you know, it looked like we were getting somewhere at times and, and she was really considering all these things and then one day, I, I mean, I had gotten injured this year so many times, I was finally back on the field, I was back in the starting lineup, everything was going well and, and 15 minutes into a game out in Charleston, I, I roll my ankle and, and I take one look at it and the thing is all kinds of colors. And on my foot, that's hard to see. But this thing is all, some of you got that. So this, this thing is, is all kinds of colors. And I just know I'm going to be out for weeks again, at least a couple weeks. And, and, and I'm just sitting there. And, and then the trainer is just a little bit slow for my liking in getting there with the ice and whatever else. And, and I let her know that. I could not believe I did that. She snapped at me. That, she, she just, don't ever speak to me like that. And I, and I just said, you know, you're right. I'm so sorry. I, I am so sorry. I, I would say I don't know how that got into me, but, but you know, I, I've been a Christian for a long time now, and I know exactly how that got into me. Uh, please forgive me for that. Be encouraged. Never, never underestimate... What God is able to do through a heartfelt apology, even when people have seen your worst, and, and more than that, never underestimate what He's able to do simply because He's God. And and I, I don't I don't want to um, I don't want to make you necessarily feel too bad about yourself and how important you are, but your 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 badness is is not bigger than God's goodness. He He's had much worse witnesses than you. I, I assure you. And, and again, God is able to save other people. I'll leave it at that this morning. Um, and, I, and I trust that God's spirit will not lead you to become complacent with your words and your actions before other people, even though I've tried to encourage you in that way. The second thing that really encouraged me as I read through this uh, is that God, God wants our love for each other to look a lot like Ruth's love for Naomi here. Now, here's what I have in mind. Uh, look, look with me again. This is just one of the things that, that I'm sure Naomi would have prepped Ruth as they're going to Bethlehem. She might have said something like, hey hey, Ruth, again remember this is Bethlehem. They don't have a high view of Moabite women here. Um, you, might, you might have some people insult you when you get there. That could happen. Don't let that, don't let that bother you too much. All right. So they're walking along. They get to Bethlehem and look at verse 19. It says the two of them went on until they... Came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of everybody. Them. There's more than one person here, isn't there? And look at what everybody says. Is this Naomi? Do they not even see Ruth? I mean, I can understand them focusing on Naomi. They know her, but there's no mention here of acknowledging Ruth at all. No, Naomi, who's this? No, and, and watch this. Maybe, maybe that hurt a little bit, but watch what happens next. At least, at least Naomi will introduce her and speak up, right? No, Naomi just launches right into it. Who this? Don't call me Naomi. Call, call me Mar- She just goes right into it. And, and then watch what she says toward the end of verse, verse 21. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. C- can you imagine being Ruth standing right there? Brought you back empty. But I was prepared for everyone else to insult me. Can can, can you imagine? And then remember earlier when when Ruth pours out her heart to Naomi, hey look, I'm gonna lay down my life for you, I'm going back with you, you won't suffer alone, not as long as I have breath in me. She goes and then and then what does verse 18 say? How does Naomi respond? That's right, she doesn't. (laughs) She doesn't respond, just like all of you. She doesn't respond. She says absolutely nothing. And and the thing that that I kind of heard God putting on my heart and and speaking was was our love and and love that is profoundly shaped by the gospel can continue and can endure even when people don't respond to our greatest sacrificial love. Even when they're completely unresponsive, even, even when they're downright insulting. Gospel-shaped love really can and, and will endure even through those times and those moments. I know in my own life, and you can probably say the same, I know, I know that uh, sometimes I'm on the wrong end of that. I can, I've actually had people in this church tell me, you know, it, it hurt when you didn't respond. I poured out my heart in the best way I knew how, and it hurt that you didn't respond as I expected and I, and I think their assessment was fair. E- even beyond what they expected, I, I don't think I responded in the way that God would expect. And not just because of my, my position here as a pastor, but because I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And, and I think that they were right about my, my response. Um, and, and I know it. sometimes I've poured out my heart to people just trying to help. You know, you, you step into a situation, you try to help, and in, instead of gratitude, you, you, get, you get insulted quite honestly, you don't always catch people at their best, but what, what we've learned walking together for nine, ten years is God can get us through those moments, so be encouraged again. You, you can't, parents, do you think you might have to, every once in a while, continue to love some, some short people in your house who don't respond very well to your greatest sacrifices, and we can all point to things like that, yeah? So Lord, help us as we, as we just think about those things to be encouraged, to be encouraged, To let you shape our hearts and our lives in those ways. And and then as we continue now to look at Naomi and to look at Job and how they think about you as they're going through some of their hardest moments, I pray that you would help us to see you and your goodness through all of life and, and that you will help us to view our own suffering in the best possible way. We ask that in your name again, amen. Amen. Now, go with me to Ruth chapter 1 again, verse 19. So the two of them get to Bethlehem. And they say, is this Naomi? And then Naomi looks at them and says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Call me bitter. Twice now, this is the second time. We might overlook it as fatigue at the end of the trip if she hadn't said it on the front end of the trip. But if you go back to verse 13, you'll see it again. Naomi says, no, my daughters, for it is exceedingly what? Bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi, as she goes through the worst moments of her life, is not just saying, You know, Orpah, Ruth, I've had a tough run of things these past 10 years. You've been there and you know that. She's not simply describing her experiences, she's not simply saying, I've had a hard go of life recently. She's actually processing everything and drawing conclusions about God. This is what tends to happen when religious people suffer. In in a very real way, religious people can pile a a specific kind of suffering onto their problems that, that some other people don't even have to contend with. Some people suffer, and they find all kinds of biological and, and cosmological reasons for it, but there's no personal being at the, under of, at the other end of it trying to hurt them. Do you understand? Religious people, and, and some Christians in particular, I can speak from my own, or my own experience, they go through the very same things as some of these others, but they, they process it in such a way that at the end of it, at the back of it, they see the most powerful being in the universe personally attacking them. Now, if it wasn't bad enough already to have to bury your husband and your son in a strange land over, the, over a period of 10 years and to feel destitute as a childless widow, now add to that the fact that the person you've always grown up to love the most, at least in your mind and your heart, you've, you've been taught that this is the one we ought to love the most. This is the greatest person. No one has our interests in mind as much as this God. Now you believe that he's personally against you, his hand has come against you, and he's attacking you. That doesn't improve things at all, does it? It is bitter for me, Naomi says. She comes and she says, the Lord, look again, down at the, at the end of this passage. She, she, she's her 15 year or so reunion back in Bethlehem and she comes and she says, verse 21, I went, away, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Verse 20, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me or, or rather the Almighty. She kind of goes back and the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. And again, we can cut her some slack, Yes. I have no stone to throw at Naomi. I haven't been through what she's been through. You know what, though? Some of you have. Some of you have. Some of us have responded very well to our suffering. Some of us have responded not so well. What I want to point out right here is the fact that there's, there, there is something wrong that we have to deal with in Naomi's response. But the thing that's wrong is not the fact that she acknowledges that God has some part in her suffering. That's not the part that's wrong. Now that is a very difficult thing for me to say because it is is right for Naomi to understand that God is sovereign over everything, including all of the things and all of the people that have played a part in what she has suffered. God at no time has given up any shred of authority over all of those people and all of those things. He, the entire time, has had complete authority and sovereignty over every aspect of his universe. Naomi correctly understands that. She can see his sovereignty clearly. She agrees with Job here, as we'll see in a minute. Yes, the Lord is somehow involved in all of this in a way that that hurts me right now when I think about it, but she at least understands that God, ultimately, all of her suffering has passed through his hands. That's how I'll say it this morning that God has always had full authority over everything that is going on and all of her suffering, even what we've read about here, has passed through God's hand before it came to her. That is one of the most difficult things for me to say as I look around the room and I remember some of the things that you guys have told me about what's happened to you. That is hard for me to say this morning. When my three-year-old nephew in Ohio was diagnosed with a brain tumor and another tumor on his spinal cord just two weeks ago. We got that call. And that is the, it's one of the hardest things to look at you and say. Um, I can tell you the alternatives are no better, though. The idea that there's a sovereign devil out there who can just sneak stuff by God, and that somehow after God was... Asleep on the job, we're supposed to go to him and then pray for him to do something about it? I don't know how you live like that. What if he does do something about it? Can't Satan just reverse it? I mean, if that's all your God is, I just don't know how you go back to him and pray and ask him for help. So guess what, folks? Here's what, life is hard. When we suffer and we try to figure out where God is and what part He had to play in all this, it's hard wherever you land. Elimelech, he took his family to Moab because he thought he could escape starvation and death in Bethlehem. And what happened when he got to, to, to Moab? He died. You and I often think that if we just flee one set of ideas or, or thoughts or situations, we automatically will carve out a certain existence and comfort for ourselves. We'll just we'll just escape this idea of a God who's sovereign over these events, and, and somehow we'll land in a better place. Well, no, you won't. You just you won't. Y- you won't. Naomi was correct. I don't have time to go all the way through the 30 verses of the Bible I wrote down to help you see why she was correct. But I will take you to Job. Go to Job chapter one. Job understood this as well. Now what I, what I want to do in, in, the, in the next part of this is, is show you that this is not just my opinion. I'm gonna read the Bible here. We actually in the book of Job get a little glimpse, we get an inside look at a conversation that God has with Satan that leads directly to human suffering. I think it's the only place in the Bible where we are privy to see this, where, where God has an interaction with Satan that leads directly to human suffering and God paints himself as sovereign over the whole thing. Job chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Now, you want to talk about a bad day. Listen to this. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans, a group of people there, fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, so right on the heels of this, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, "The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, just line them up. One, two, now, now, here comes the third. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, "The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came the worst news of all. There came a messenger, another one, who said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house And it fell on the young people. And they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Job lost his entire family, aside from his wife. He he lost all of his children. He lost all of his his servants. I'm I'm sure many of them his friends, the, the way that he seemed to interact with people. He lost all of his wealth. He lost it all in a day. It all came upon him in a moment. Now what I want you to see are Job's first recorded words as he processes all of this. Job chapter one, verse 20. Then Job arose, he tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshiped. Now culturally that has significance. For time's sake we'll we'll avoid that this morning. But let's say God understood exactly what Job was doing when he did all of that. And it would have been pleasing to God. Verse 21, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Friends, Look at what he just went through. If Naomi's first words about the Lord and her suffering are bitter, bitter, Job's is blessed. The heart is what determines which one of those we would would speak. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, Job could have said a lot of different things that would have been true. He he could have said the Sabaeans, the Lord gave and the Sabaeans took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He could have said the Lord gave and the elements, the natural elements took away, the fire, the wind, blessed be the name of the Lord. He could have said the Chaldeans took away after the Lord gave, blessed be the name of the Lord. But when Job reaches back to the one who has ultimate authority over what it is he is suffering and what it is he is processing. He names one person and one person only. He says, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now here's the million dollar question. We don't automatically know before we keep reading whether or not Job is right. Now, is he right or wrong here? He says the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. He doesn't talk about the Sabaeans, the Chaldeans, the fire, the wind. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, is he right? Or has he misspoken about God here? The next verse, verse 22, is is one of the most important verses in the Bible. It's one of the most important verses for your life. This is where God himself, the narrator of scripture, steps in and gives his own commentary of the situation. Verse 22 says, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job rightly acknowledges that his suffering has passed through God's hand. Job rightly acknowledges that God remains in full authority and sovereignty over everything that has happened and yet in acknowledging all of that verbally he has not sinned and has not gone so far as charging God with wrong. Now those two things often seem contradictory to us, if we acknowledge that God is sovereign over these things, that he could have prevented these things, chose not to, didn't use his superpowers in a way that we would have liked, that somehow, if he has any hand in any of this, he must be a co-conspirator and he is to be blamed for wrongdoing. So we rush to absolve God of that by saying, he just wasn't there, he couldn't have been. Job does not do that. Naomi does not do that. They they have God's perspective of of the situation here, that my suffering has passed through God's hand. The difference here is that Job comes to that very same conclusion as Naomi, and then he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now let me, let me show you something that I think contributed to that difference in Job's life and in Job's words. Go back to Ruth chapter one and look at, look at where Naomi begins, as she begins to talk to the ladies at Bethlehem. Is this Naomi? And she begins right out, I mean, right out, right out the gate. No, no, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. Right, so some of us, our, our struggle is pretending. I mentioned Lady Gaga last week, I should, you know, I, should rem- I should mention the Platters this week. 1955, some of you remember that song, The Great Pretender, yeah? Oh yes, I'm the great pretender. Pretending that I'm doing well. My need is such I pretend too much. I'm lonely but no one can tell. Now the whole song's in my head and I, if I keep going, I'll, I'll just sing very badly for you. Naomi's problem is not pretending. But but here, here's where her problem lies. Look at, look at what she says, and I think you'll see a difference in, in, in something Job says in just a moment. Naomi is saying, why would you call me Naomi? Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The first thing she says about the Lord here is that he has dealt very bitterly with me. Then she goes on and says, I went away full When that famine was going on, I was full. I went away full in one sense, and watch this, and the what? And the Lord brought me back empty. In Naomi's words, when God finally shows up, all he's doing is taking from her. All he's doing is making her empty. He's subtracting good things from her life. I... I was full, I had everything I needed, everything was great, and then God stepped in. And then he showed up, and now I'm empty. When she describes the period of life she considers to be fullness, she, she doesn't credit God at all with her words. Now, I don't know exactly what all is going on in her heart, but I know what what she's saying, and sometimes that's the best indication of what's going on here, for Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I was full until God messed up my life. Flip back over to Job. Job does not begin with a sense of fullness, that his life is full before God. Look at, look at what Job says. Verse 21. <laughs> this is Job's verse 21, isn't it? He says, naked I came from my mother's womb. Nothing. And naked shall I return. If I have anything, Job says, it's because the Lord gave Did you catch that? The Lord did not simply show up on the scene and start taking good things. Job's perspective begins in a very different place. I had nothing. I had nothing until the Lord gave. It was his to give. Naked I came from my mother's womb and that's how I'm gonna leave this life. I can't take any of this stuff with me. A day is coming where I return to what I was when I first arrived. I had nothing but the Lord who desired to give me life and he was generous with his spirit and put life in me and let me enjoy some things on this, on this planet and he, the Lord gave and now things have changed and the Lord has seen fit to take away. You know what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank God for what I was able to enjoy for the time that he allowed me to enjoy it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So different. If you were to ask me, and I say this without throwing any stones, if you were to ask me why two Christians can go through the exact same thing and one says bitter, bitter, and the other says blessed be the name of the Lord, I would say it's because of where their hearts start, where they think God has entered the picture and whether they see him primarily as the giver of good things or the taker of good things. Search your own heart and see if, if that isn't true. I, I am, I, you know, I want us to get this. Because the, the, it shouldn't have ended with bitter, bitter for Naomi. Look, look at Exodus chapter 15, very end of Exodus chapter 15, verse 25. Naomi should have remembered from the Exodus. As they were traveling through the wilderness, Exodus chapter 15, verse 25. We're beginning to close here now, which is different than closing, but we're we're beginning to close. (laughs) Exodus chapter 15, verse 25. Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days. Watch this, folks. They went, how many? Three days and found no water. When they came to Mara, don't let the H fool you, it means bitter. When they came to Mara, they could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we gonna drink? And he cried to the Lord and showed, these are people, by the way, who have just been delivered from Egypt. Remember that story? Now all of a sudden they can't find a drink and it's the end of the world. Again, not throwing stones. I, by God's grace, have not had to be in a desert with nothing to drink. I promise you, if I had been you know, it's like the, Had that been me, I, I'm, I'd be right there with the rest of them. But, but here it is. They couldn't drink the water. Verse twenty-five. And Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, or, or really, in the original Hebrew, God showed him a tree. God showed him a tree. Three days, something about three days, and a tree. And all of a sudden, everything that's bitter becomes sweet. God one day put his son on a tree and threw him into the bitterness of this world. And if you'll you'll receive it for yourself this morning, into the bitterness of your life, And just as God was able to save Ruth, he's able to save you this morning. He is able to make the bitterness you've held on to sweet again. Make life sweet again. Only God. But if you'll have his son Jesus Christ on a tree for you, thrown into the midst of your sin, this is what God promises us. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian this morning and you, you say, I'm, I'm here just to evaluate things and to, to examine Jesus and consider him and, and you've slipped into this thing that so many people slip into. You, you've actually got it backward. Pontius Pilate once thought that as Jesus came before him. He thought that he was the one examining Jesus. Actually, Jesus was examining him. It, it is the Lord Jesus who has sovereignty even in this moment. He is examining you. And he gives you an opportunity to receive forgiveness and eternal life if you will accept the fact that he had to go to the cross for people like you and me. And if you trust him. If you trust him with your life. I know things look a certain way as you look at them. But there's an old song that talks about God moving in mysterious ways. And part of it says, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind the frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Lord, would you smile on us this morning? And would you cause us to bring our hurting hearts to your cross, where we have often accused you of wrongdoing. We've, we've accused you of being a taker from our lives without acknowledging that you are the giver of every good thing. We, we have spoken words about you that are dishonoring, and, and Lord, we repent and we ask you to forgive us. And we ask that you would help us to remember moments like this so that as we go forward, as we go forward, whatever it is we endure or suffer in this life, we would be able to do both of these, to acknowledge that you are sovereign over it and that it has passed through your hand, but at the same time, to never lose sight of the fact that you are good. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. 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 In just a moment, those of you who are serving communion, you can go ahead and get those things now. And here is the reminder of the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. His body represented by the bread, his his blood represented by the cup. And all those who have trusted in him for forgiveness and eternal life are welcome now to come and to receive these reminders of his grace. And again, as I said, if you're not a believer this morning, all of that can change for you. Would you consider that God is the giver of every good thing? The fact that you have life this morning is a gift from Him. And whatever it is that you've been through in the, in the brief number of days that you've been on this planet, whether that's 10 years or 80 years, God is no less good because of the things that we have gone through. In fact, if you'll trust Him, by the time He's finished weaving everything together, By the time he's finished weaving everything together, he'll turn that thing over, and you'll see it. You'll see it. Lord, we thank you. We trust you. We don't have answers, um, but we have you, and that will have to be enough for us right now. We pray that you'd give us the strength of heart to be patient with you and with each other, to trust you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodland given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.